Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the Met, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Now, enjoy the message. Woohoo! How are we doing this morning? Doing good? Yes, yes, we are in week three of our series, Vacation. I'm excited to have Dallas Avaye he, uh, here with us today. How are you doing, Dallas? I'm doing great, doing thank good? you. Dallas is our Connections Pastor, and um, you know what, Dallas, why don't you go ahead and tell everybody, what is a Connections Pastor do? Yeah, great question. So uh, I have an incredible team. Let me start by saying that uh, our Connections team helps with uh, our first-time guest experience. Uh, if you're here on campus right now, you see the lobby, they got all set up, but if you've been a first-time guest at any point, um, and we've texted you, or if you watch online, we've reached out to you uh, on, on Facebook or something like that. Our team kind of has a hand in all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting people just really connected to the life of the church, but also uh, in the middle of a pandemic, figuring out how do we return safely uh, and those kind of things. So if you didn't like your experience when you came here uh, with all the mass stuff, all that, that you can blame me. That's, yeah, blame him. That's blame what that him. means. Don't blame him. No, they do an incredible job. I think y'all do it better than anybody. You and your team do a better job than, than anywhere that I've ever seen of, of making people, when you drive onto a campus or when you join us online, that you really feel the heart of the, the church. You feel the heart of the Met. And the Met is all about connecting people to God and one another, and that's what y'all do. And I'm glad you're here as we are in our week three of vacation. Yes. Oh, I'm applause. Look at that. That's it. Well, we've been talking about vacation, so um, where do you and your family like to do on vacation? So I'm going to go cliche. I'm going with Disney. I'm going with Disney. We just went to Disney right before quarantine happened, um, so right about the early March. Um, this is my family, a picture of my family at Disney. Um, I picked this because my son has his foot up like Mickey Mouse. That's why I picked that picture, because that's <laughs> the cutest thing you're going to see today. So no matter what happens, just remember his cute little foot up like that. Uh, we love going to Disney, though. My kids are so deprived currently that um, on our Apple TV, they can go to Disney now and they can watch the roller coasters that are at Disney and they are watching those. And uh, my daughter's already planning our next trip. So she doesn't understand the money aspect, just that she wants to go. <laughs> yes, but they, so they watch the roller coasters. They, so they're all into the adventure yes, of it. Yep. Absolutely. Well, actually, this is what this series has been all about. It's been about adventure. We've been taking you to places. We took you to the the Jordan River. We took you to Nineveh. So where are we going today? Today, we are going to go to Damascus. Now, Damascus is in modern-day Syria. It's actually the capital of Syria, and it is the oldest inhabited city in the world, fun fact. And so you can uh, see a map there, but it is in the southwest corner of Syria. It's actually, because of its beauty, because of its history, it's called the Pearl of the East, oh. which was my nickname in high school. So I relate <laughs> to that very much. Um, you know, and, and it's not just going to Damascus. It's about what happens when we're kind of taking this journey. So I was texting my dad this week, and he said, hey, what is your message about? And I was like, well, how can I put that in one sentence? And I was like, uh... When, when God messes up your plans for your life, I think that's a good way to describe the story we're gonna talk about today at Damascus. It is, it's, it's a great way to talk about it because you know we have plans, but then God's plans kind of interrupt our plans. And what we need to understand is that even though God interrupts those plans, God is in control and he's gonna bring good from those plans. And that's what this story is all about. But before we get to Damascus, we actually need to start in Jerusalem. And we've gotta start by talking about a guy named Saul of Tarsus. 
And he was Saul of Tarsus because he was from Tarsus. He was from Tarsus, which is located in Turkey. He was born there in about 5 AD. And he was, uh, that means he was a little bit younger than Jesus. And uh, he was born into a Jewish household. His father was a Pharisee. And all that means is the fact that he believed that the only way that you were gonna be right with God is that you followed the laws of God, that you followed the law that, that God gave to Moses. And if you followed those laws and you were gonna be right with God, and if you didn't, then you were gonna be on the outs with God. What we see is Saul kind of shared those same beliefs. Now, another interesting thing about his father, his father was a Roman citizen which means by birth, so was Saul. Saul was a Roman citizen, and it gave him some, some authority, gave him some privileges that most Jews didn't have. And uh, he had things that, that most Jews didn't experience back in those days. Well, about at 13, he is sent from Tarsus back to Jerusalem. He's sent to Jerusalem to study under the great teacher Gamaliel. And there, Gamaliel pours into Saul, and he pours into him the, the, the scriptures. He pours into him the, the Torah. He pours into the, the oral and written laws of, of the Jewish faith. And so he's just absorbing this all in. And they said that Saul was his star pupil. In fact, a lot of theologians believe that after he studied with Gamaliel, he went back to Tarsus and started teaching in all the synagogues there. He started teaching in the synagogues, and the reason why they thought that is because as you look at the life of Jesus, if you read the Gospels, you never see Saul's name mentioned. He's not mentioned. He's never mentioned about being with Jesus or hearing Jesus or talking to Jesus. In fact, Saul doesn't burst onto the pages of history till after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, and after Jesus' ascension into heaven, that's when Saul actually makes his way back to Jerusalem, and he comes to Jerusalem as a man on a mission. He is on a mission, and his mission is to kill all Christians. He thinks that everything that's going wrong in the world is all because of Christians, because they're living a life that's offensive to God. They're not following the law of God. And so he thinks they need to be wiped off the face of the earth. Now, because he's a Roman citizen, he actually has the power to do that, because Rome has given him privileges that other Jews can't. Remember, Jews could not kill other Jews. That's why when they tried Jesus, they couldn't crucify him. They had to go to the, the Roman governor Pilate and they'd had to get him to actually crucify Jesus. But, but uh, Saul has all the power that Rome has given to him. And we see that power being used when, when Stephen is stoned in Acts 7. Remember the story of Stephen? He was the first Christian martyr. He was an outspoken follower of Jesus. And he goes in front of the Sanhedrin and he tells them, you're a bunch of murderers. You have killed Jesus. You have killed the one that God sent. And they're furious about this. They're furious that he would say this about these religious leaders, and they want him killed. And they actually can stone him to death with Saul's approval. In fact, in Acts 7, it talks about them, when they're stoning Stephen, they're laying their garments at the feet of Saul. It was Saul's approval that he could be stoned. But there's a lot of theologians who believe that at that point, when Stephen is being stoned, that God convicts Saul, that actually he convicts him at that point. Because before uh, Stephen is stoned to death, what happens, you hear him say, he looks up and he sees heaven open wide and he says, there's Jesus at the right hand of God. And here is Saul looking at him going, he needs to die for what he believes. But here's, he's seeing a man saying, I see Jesus. Saul thought this was all made up, thought this was a whole thing was a hoax. But now he's killing a man who says he sees Jesus. And I think what happens is teaching started going through his mind. That's how he's being convicted because Gamaliel, who taught him in Acts 5, had told the high priest to let Peter and the other apostles go. Remember, they were preaching about Jesus. 
They were arrested. They were brought in front of the religious council. And Gamaliel goes in there and says, no, let them go. Don't kill them. Don't do that. He says, because if what they're saying is false, it's all gonna go away anyway. It's not gonna matter. He says, but if what they say is true, then you're going against God. You're actually fighting against God. And so this is what the conviction that was going through Saul's mind is, is he sees Stephen being stoned to death, but he sees Jesus. And see, when you're convicted, one of two things is gonna happen. One of two things is gonna happen. You're either gonna be broken because of that conviction. You're either gonna be broken because you know you're doing the wrong thing, or you're gonna be mad. You're gonna be angry. And that's what happened to Saul. He got mad He hated Christians more than he hated them before. In fact, the very Christians that were mourning and burying Stephen, he's having them arrested and thrown in jail. He's going from house to house and he's just arresting Christians and putting them in jail. He had successfully made every Christian in Jerusalem go underground. They were all fearing for their life. But Saul wasn't done. He was about to take his show on the road because he hears, hears word that in the synagogues in Damascus, This group called the way, and that's what Christians were called. They were called the way because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so they were called the way. And he said, there's these Christians that are in the synagogues and they're preaching about Jesus and we gotta stop it. So he goes to the high priest. He says, give me a letter. Write something that I can go into these synagogues so I can get these Christians and I can bring them back here and we can persecute them. And the high priest was, yeah, we wanna get rid of them. So what happens? He gets all of his soldiers And he starts that journey to Damascus. And just outside of Damascus, that's when God messes with his plan. That's when everything gets turned around. And so that's where we're gonna pick up our story. We're gonna be in Acts chapter nine. If you have your Bible with you, if you wanna turn to that, also be on the screen or on the, yeah, it'll be on the screens. Acts chapter nine, verse three through five. We're gonna read this. And it says, now as he and he being Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So right at the beginning of the story, I want you to know when God wants to get your attention, he can do that. Did you know that? He can get your attention in any kind of way. He gets Saul's attention with a shining light. And he asked this question of him, why are you persecuting me? The voice says, why are you persecuting me? Now, that's important because there's this association that the voice is making between persecuting the Christians of the day and and having an impact with Jesus. When you persecute Christians, you persecute Christ. The reason that's important because there's an association, there's a closeness that God has with you and I. It's kind of like being a parent. This is, a, this is a silly analogy, but it's like being a parent for me. My kids are three and about to be six. I can sit at the dinner table with my kids and I can look at them in the eye and know which one of them is lying to me about having to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I just know them that well. If you're a parent, you just, you can see things in your kids' eyes, whether they tell you the truth or not. You can just see it. There's this close familiarity that the voice is making. Why are you persecuting me? It's, just, it's very personal. And notice that it is a question to start. God has the power to blind Saul. He's powerful enough to blind him, but he's gracious enough to give him a moment of contemplation. Why? Why are you persecuting me? And and Saul didn't even know what to say. He says, well, who are you, Lord? And, And he says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. He makes it very clear 
and very obvious. So the story continues. Now he's blind and he's told, hey, get up and you're gonna go to Damascus like you originally planned. And your, your group of people, they're all gonna come with you. You're gonna go there. And what scripture says is he didn't eat, he didn't drink, and he couldn't see for three days. He just chilled for three days in Damascus. So Acts chapter nine, verse 10, we see this. It says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to a street called Straight. And in the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. There's a lot happening. There's a lot to unpack there. But you meet this new character in the story named Ananias. If you've been around the church for any amount of time, if you read other scripture, you may have heard that name before, Ananias. But usually it's associated with a story about a guy that dies because he, was, uh, he lied to God. This is not that same guy. This is a new guy. I know what it's like. My name is Dallas. I know what it's like to have an association with, you know, something that's not great. The Cowboys haven't won in a long time, okay? <laughs> he makes, hey, I'm a Cowboys fan, okay? I can miss that joke. <laughs> he makes this, uh, he, he, so he calls Ananias by his name, though, when he has this, this vision. And, and a vision is just a supernatural revelation from God. And so it tells us that he, Ananias has known the Lord. He's known something about him but he calls him by his name. It's very personal for God in this vision. He calls him by his name and he tells him, he tells him what's about to happen. But before that, Ananias just says his name and Ananias says, here I am, God, I'm available. Here I am, God, I'm ready. I don't know about you, but I feel like I kind of need a manual to march. Like I need God to tell me every single next step before I will listen. Not Ananias, Ananias said, you call my name, I'm ready and I'm here. To be available to God, it just means this. When, when God calls your name, you're ready to get in the game. And Ananias is ready. So God tells him then, you're gonna go find a guy named Saul and you're gonna know it's him because he's the one that's praying. Maybe other people in this city didn't pray, I don't know what's happening, but he's gonna be the one that's praying, so you're gonna find him there. And so I want you to just for a moment, think about Saul what he's encountered and what he's seen. He's been told to go to this city that he originally intended to go to, but not for the reason he intended to. What does Saul do while he's there? He prays. When he's blind, he prays. When he's hungry, he prays. There's a quote that I love from Corey Ten Boom. It says, is, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? What it means is that what role does prayer play in your life? Because in Saul's life, it was life-giving, it was life-sustaining right from the moment he had an encounter with God. It meant something that he would pray. And so God tells Ananias, you're gonna go and find this guy and he also had a vision that you would heal him. And so you're gonna go and do that. And if we're as ready and as available as Ananias was in that moment, he hesitated just a little bit. Well, I mean, I've heard, I've heard about that guy. I've heard about the evil that he has done to believers and to Christians. Are you sure it's that guy? Double checking, just making sure, God, you're God, I'm not, but just double checking, right? Here's how God responds to him. He says in verse 15, he says, but the Lord said to him, uh, but the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. 
God told Ananias, you're looking at his past and I'm looking at his future. You're looking at what he was, I'm looking at what he will be. He is a chosen instrument of God. That phrase, chosen instrument, it means a vessel of desire, meaning God wanted this. He wanted to use this man in a mighty and powerful way. For what reason? To carry my name. You know, God has the same calling on your life. God says the same thing for you. He, you are a chosen instrument. God wants you to carry his name just the same way that he did for Saul. And he's gonna use Ananias in this way. And so now that Ananias kind of understands, the verse says this in 9, 17, 18, it says, so Ananias departed and he entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, I love this, brother Saul. God just had to tell him once. And now he's my brother. We're in this together. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you uh, on, the, on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Something that stands out there, it's Ananias' faithfulness, but it's also Saul's faithfulness that he would wait. You know what Ananias didn't do in this moment? He didn't block a blessing that God had for him. He got to see a literal miracle in front of his eyes. He got to see a man's vision healed and he was going to see one of the most incredible transformations ever. And he didn't block that blessing. I think in our life, I know myself, I tend to do that sometimes. God's calling me to do a certain thing, but I need all the instruction and I miss the blessing that God has. Or God brings somebody into my life and they want to bless me in some way and I say, no, but not really. You know, that's, that's a blessing that God has for you, that you block out. Ananias didn't do that. He got to see something incredible happen in front of his eyes. And as the story wraps up, it's really the beginning of Saul, who is soon to be Paul, his ministry. And if you know anything about scripture, if you've known scripture for a time, he, Paul is a vital element to writing a majority of the New Testament. But in this little portion here, what happens is, after this vision that he has and he's healed and scales fall off his eyes, he starts to preach. And the people that are in the city, do you know what they say? They say, isn't this the same guy who was killing all the Christians? Isn't this the same guy? You know why? Because the, the devil will always call you by your past because he doesn't know your future. This is what they do to Saul. They remind him, no, you were the one killing everybody. You can't. And I love what scripture says at the very end of this story. In verse 22, it says, but Saul increased all the more in strength. And he confounded, confused him, the Jews who lived in Damascus by what? By proving that Jesus was the Christ. This is an incredible story of God's power, God's provision. I mean, just the faithfulness. There's so much here for us to unpack. But I think what it tells us is that we can have plans for our life the way that Saul did, but they don't always work out that way. They, they don't always work out that way, yeah. I would say. No, I think we've been talking about that, that, that God not only messes with our plan, God gives us a new plan. I mean, here, here was a guy that was all about going to Damascus to kill all the Christians there. And now he's there wanting everybody to be a Christian. God changed everything. God changed it all. And what God did in Saul's life is what God wants to do in everybody's life. 
But we need to understand this. If it's gonna be the change, it all starts with the call. It starts with the call. Jesus said this in, in John 6, He said that, that no one is gonna come to me unless first the Father draws them near and first that God makes the call. See, God initiates the change in all of our lives because it's God who initiates the call. Our job is just to respond to that call. We respond to that call. Romans 10, 13, it says that all that call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. That we are to respond to the call of God by putting our trust back in him. Ephesians 2, 8, what does it say? It's the fact that we are saved by grace through faith. It's nothing that we've done. It's just a gift from God. God is the one who initiates the change. God is the one who initiates the call that we answer that call through our faith. And how do we have faith? Romans 10, 17. It says faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Saul knew the word of God. He knew the scriptures inside and out. He knew it better than anybody. He also knew the gospel. He knew the story of Jesus. He knew all about Jesus. He just didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't put his trust, his faith in Jesus until that moment on that road to Damascus. And that's where everything changed. He answered a call. Now, we're all not gonna have this same moment that, 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 uh, that Saul had. We're not gonna have this blinding light moment. I didn't have that moment. I remember when I answered the call. I was in high school. I, can, I grew up going to church, probably like a lot of you did. I grew up going. But as I look back, I realized that Really, I had more of a knowledge of God and not a relationship with God. I knew who God was, but I didn't have a personal relationship. And so my mom kept trying to get me more involved, more involved. And, and I can remember coming home from school one day and she said, hey, I signed you up to go with the youth group to a, to a Christian concert. And I was going, you did what? She goes, yeah, you're gonna go. I said, no, I'm not spending Friday night going to listen to a choir. I mean, because that's all I knew what Christian music was. We were in a church that had a choir, okay? And so the only Christian songs I knew were sung by a choir. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna go hear a choir for my Friday night? There's no way. Well, she made me go, and to my surprise, it was a band, okay? It was a band. Wasn't as good as our band, but it was a band, and uh, it, was, it, was, uh, it was actually really, really good. I didn't know any of the songs, but I really felt the call of God that night. And at the end of the, the night, they, uh, they did a, an altar call. They called people to come forward. They gave an invitation out there to come if you hadn't received Christ. And if you haven't grown up in church, that's really kind of what they used to do is the fact that if you hadn't received Christ, they open up the front of the church and you come forward and, and, uh, and you pray. And I was like, going, I ain't going down there. There's no way. I'm not walking in front of all these people. There was like thousands of people there. There's no, I'm not doing it. And, uh, but I felt that tug that God was calling me. He said, it's time for you to receive me. It's time for you to accept that. And I said, well, God, I haven't felt this before, but I said, I was kind of like Saul. I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna see if this is real. And so that next week, all I did was pray. I prayed every single night. I prayed every morning. I talked to God through that. And I had this closeness with God that I'd never had in my life. And it turned out that the next Friday, there was another concert. And I said, I'll go. And so I went, and it was another band, thank goodness. Still not as good as our band, but it was another band. And that's when I said I was gonna do it. And I walked forward, and I answered that call. And it changed my life forever. And that's what you have to understand. When you answer the call, it'll change your life forever. And I think about how each of us, we, we have been called by God. I was called by God when I, I had a broken relationship with my family, a broken relationship with my friends, and a broken relationship with God, but he, he called me when I was 17 years old. He, he called Rob 
and, and, and God calls you. He called Ananias, he called Saul. God has a calling on your life. And if I can be honest though, you know, the, the call isn't always convenient. It, it comes in the middle of a pandemic. It comes when you've gotten everything else figured out. You just got your finances right in order. God calls you to do something that's crazy. You got, you got just your, your marriage is right on track or you got that relationship with your kids right back. And then there's a call. And, and so <clears throat> I want you to know though, that a call from God, it's not a derail, it's a detour. A detour just takes you a different direction than you intended to go. But it, it'll, it'll get you where God wants you to be. But you know, it's not, it's not just the call. When we look in the story, it's the cooperation. Mm -hmm. That's our second point. We see the cooperation that, that Saul and Ananias both had to have with God. And when I started thinking about this point, this is a question that kind of came to me. Am, am I doing good things or am I doing God things? Think about that for a moment. Am I doing a good thing or am I doing a God thing? What that means is, do you know that Saul thought when he was killing Christians, he thought he was doing a good thing? Scripture actually says in Acts 8, 1, that he, he approved of the persecution of Stephen. He really believed that it was a good thing he was doing. Get rid of all the Christians. They're making life worse. He was doing a good thing. Even Ananias himself, he thought he was doing a good thing. He was in his city. He was reaching out. He was ministering to people but his, his, his reach really hadn't gotten further than that. He wasn't introduced into the story until this point. And so they kind of get to this crossroads with each other where they, they have to decide, am I going to cooperate with what God has called me to do or am I not? He called Saul to go to the city and wait to be healed. And he called Ananias to go and heal a guy that was killing people like him. Was he going to cooperate? And praise God, both of them listened, and what you get in that is you get one of the greatest stories in history. You get to see a murderer become a minister, right? That's not a headline that you see today. You get to see this happen in this story. But I think about cooperation in our own life. Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10, it says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. There are things that God is calling you to, to cooperate in, and I wonder what they might look like in your life. I know for me, it might look like having, maybe it's some uncomfortable uh, gospel conversations with people around me. M maybe it's having conversations with my very own parents about the Lord. They know the worst parts of me. If anybody can take one of those approaches with Saul, hey, I know who you've been, it's my parents, they can do that. What does cooperation with God look like? If you're a parent, what does it look like to cooperate with God when you raise your kids? To know, to know the truth of God and what he's doing in their life. What does that look like? And if I'm being honest, I think the reason that cooperation is so hard for some of us, it's because you don't really get to see payoff. You, you don't, I like, I like return on investment. I don't know about you. I wanna know that what I'm putting in, I'm getting something out. A lot of times we don't get to see that in that cooperation. And Ananias got to see it because he saw Saul healed. Sometimes you don't get to see it, but you know, sometimes you get to see a glimpse of that. I want you to see this. God made you. Strong. God made you. Smart. God made you. Brave. 
God made you. Lovely. The fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, verse 22, 23. So let me tell you, she was very excited to make that video for you, number one. Um, if she's watching online, she's really excited to see herself on TV. <laughs> the point of this being not a boast to myself, but to say that when we cooperate with God, sometimes we get to start seeing a little glimmer of a payoff. Do you think that I knew the fruit of the Spirit when I was that age? I barely know it now. <laughs> but when we cooperate with God and we start being a part of his work, cooperation we get to see some of God's transformation. Mm -hmm. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says that you and I have a role in the kingdom of God. Did you know that? You and I have a role, and that role, it calls the ministry of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. That's a big church word, but you know what it simply means? Reconciliation means to restore harmony. Restore harmony between what? Between people who are far from God that need to be close to him. Mm -hmm. That's a role that you and I play in this world. You know, your life's a pulpit. What are you preaching? That's what God is asking of us and we cooperate with him. But when it comes to us having this cooperation with God, there's discouragement that comes. The more you start leaning into the Lord, the more the enemy starts to tell you, well, look who you've been. People are never going to listen to you the, the, the platform you have, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. No one, will, no one likes the way you do this or do that. And I want you to know that when Satan can't destroy you, he'll just distract you. Mm. He'll make you believe that any words that you have to give to people, they're not gonna be beneficial. And I want you to know, I've heard it said this way, if you're not dead, then God's not done. Mm -hmm. God has a work that he is calling you to be a part of. Mm -hmm. And just like Ananias and Saul, I pray that we would cooperate with God in that. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think for a lot of Christians, cooperation is the hardest part. I think, you know, when we answer that call and we make Christ our Savior, Jesus our Savior, but that next step of making him Lord of your life, that's the hardest part because there's a... Face it, there's a lot of things that, that we have that we don't wanna let go of. We think that parts of our life are better in our hands than in God's hands. And God says, no, you need to release all that. You need to cooperate with me. What you need to understand is God's not trying to stop you from doing things. God's trying to stop things from doing something to you. Okay, let me explain that. When I think of cooperation, I think of, of Jesus talking, giving the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount, his greatest sermon. And he's laying out how it, you need to live if you're a Christ follower. This is what you need to do. And in Matthew 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells this parable. And he says this, anybody who hears these words of mine, anybody who hears these words, I'm telling you what you need to do, how you need to live. This is what a Christ follower should look like. I'm laying it all out. Anybody who hears these words and then cooperates, actually does what it says, participates in it. He says, you're like a wise man who builds this house on the rock. And he says, this is why it's so important because Satan is gonna try to distract you. Satan is gonna try to destroy you. And what he's saying is that when you cooperate with me, it won't work. See, God's not trying to get you not to do things. God's trying to make sure things don't happen to you. And Satan is gonna do his best to try to mess you up. He's gonna try to take you out and cooperation keeps you in line with God. And when you cooperate with him, it leads us to our third point, which is the conversion. 
There is a, a conversion that takes place. That uh, it says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, anybody who is in Christ is this new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Now, what I want to make clear real quick is that that conversion happened when you answered the call, okay? That's not the conversion we're talking about, that God sees you different. When you, when you accept Jesus Christ, that conversion happened. You are a new creation in Christ, that he no longer sees you as the sinner, he sees you as the saint. He no longer sees you as an enemy of him, he sees you as a, as a child of God. But the conversion that I'm talking about is the fact that you see yourself differently. See, it's not until you start seeing yourself differently that the people around you will start seeing yourself differently. See, that was happening with Saul. And what we hear in the story of Saul, remember, Saul becomes Paul. He's not Saul anymore, he's now Paul. It's Paul who writes half the New Testament. It's not, it's not Saul, it's Paul. Now, when you become a Christ follower, you don't have to change your name. That's not what it's about. But when you look at the story of Saul to Paul, it was talking about the change that happened, the conversion that happened in him. And because that conversion happened, it affected everybody around him. Remember, he was Saul. All, all moms back in those days, they were gonna name the little baby boy Saul because Saul was the first king of Israel. And the reason why he was the king was because he was the tallest one and he was the best looking guy. That's why they picked him. I mean, honest. I mean, when they moved into the promised land, that's what happened. They've all moved into the promised land. Remember, they get there, they get all settled in and they start looking around and they're going, hey, we're the only country that don't have, we don't, we don't wanna have we're the only nation that have a king. God, we need a king. We got a king, we gotta be like everybody else. And God says, I don't want you to be like everybody else. You don't need a king, I'm your king. And they go, yeah, I know you're your king, but we wanna be like everybody else. Give us a king. And so God says, fine, if you wanna have a king. So what do they do? They pick the guy that all the girls wanna marry and all the guys wanna be like. That's how he became. So that's why all the mamas were naming their, their, their babies Saul. Saul, and it, it meant significant. It meant important. It meant proud. That's what, that's what it was. And when you look at the life of Saul, he was. He had a significant role in everything. He, he had a big name for himself. People listened to Saul. He could tell people what to do. He was proud of himself. But the name Paul means humble. See, he went from this proud person to this humble servant of God. And everybody around him saw that. And that's how it affected. And that's what God is saying, is that we need to have that conversion that everybody sees that in us. And that's how we make a difference. A lot of you know I used to play tennis. I was a tennis player. I was, I was, I was decent at it and played a lot. And, and I remember one Saturday I was playing with some friends and, and um, I looked at my watch and I was like, oh, oh, I gotta go. I'm gonna be late for church. And one of the guys that I was playing with goes, you go to church? And man, it just hit me between the eyes. I'm thinking, man, how am I living my life that he's surprised that I go to church? And why haven't I been sharing my faith? Why am I not making a difference? James, the brother of Jesus, said this. He said, he said, faith without works is dead. He's saying, faith that only impacts you is nothing. That you should have a faith that works and does something in the lives of other people. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28. He said, that, he said I didn't come to be served. I came to serve others and to give my life for other people. Paul himself said that in Philippians 2, 8. He said, he said Jesus humbled himself and gave his life for us. See, what we have to understand, the conversion is when it stops being about us and it starts being about those around us. See, life isn't about you. It's about the you next to you. That's what the conversion should look like. You know, when I started thinking about 
the conversion and, and what it looks like. You know, there really is no conversion without answering the call. Yeah, I've been in ministry for about 14 years now. And I think when I look around and when I've been in the church world, there are a lot of people like Saul. They have scales on their eyes. They may not have seen what God wants for them. I wanna explain it to you this way. I want this chair to represent the driver's seat of your life. You're in the driver's seat and you let God be a passenger. Sometimes you got him in a booster seat in the back. Sometimes he's not even in the car. He's just kind of like, as you drive by, you kind of wave and, you know, tip your cap to him. But do you know that what God desires for that conversion, for you to answer that call, God desires to be in his rightful place. God wants to be the, in the driver's seat of your life. You can be a passenger, right? Sometimes I'm a backseat driver, but he wants to be in his rightful place. And I think that there are people that are in this room and there are people that are watching online right now that you've known just like Saul did. You, you know who God is for you. You know what Jesus has done, but maybe you've never answered that call in your life. And so my prayer today is that if there would be somebody that would hear this message, they would say, I need to give God his rightful place. God may not come and shine a bright light and blind you and you have a vision. That may not happen to you. And even though it won't happen in that way, you know what God still does? God still moves mountains in people's lives. God still brings dry bones back to life. God still removes scales from people's eyes. Those things still happen. And I know that there is somebody that's hearing this message today that God wants to do that for you so that you can experience life in abundance and life in fullness as God has designed for you. Mm -hmm. And you know how you do that, friend? You answer the call, you give God his rightful place. And we're gonna do that in a simple way. We're gonna pray a prayer. And it's not so much the words out of your mouth as it is the posture of your heart. We're gonna pray this, and I want you to pray with me. If God is moving in you and God is saying something to you right now in this moment, I want you to pray with me, and we're gonna talk in a second, but I want you to pray this. Lord Jesus, I give you control of my life. I've kept you out of the driver's seat, but today I'm answering the call. I'm tired of doing things my way. I want to do them your way. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Friend, I wanna tell you, if you prayed that today, whether you're online or whether you're in this room, we wanna celebrate with you, but more than that, we wanna equip you. We want, to, we want to help you take your next steps with God because it's an incredible journey. And we have a way for you to do that. You can text this, even if you're in this room, you're watching online, screenshot, text us in a minute. Text new faith to 97000. We want to know that you are starting a new journey with the Lord. And you know what? I believe so much that God is going to do that as he has for other services. God's going to do that. We're gonna give him a praise for what he's gonna do. Let's do that. <clears throat> yes. And that's been the great thing is that through the other services, we've seen people answer that call. And if you answer that call, you're ready to start that journey with him. That uh, yes, God might've messed with your plans, but he's given you a new plan. And that's what it's all about. There might be some of you here that you have answered that call, but you haven't really made him the Lord of your life. You haven't really cooperated. You're still kind of doing your own thing. That's why we do what we do here. 
That's why we, we want people in small groups. We, we want people to serve. And believe it, even during a pandemic, we still have places for you to serve. And if you're watching online, guess what? We even have places for you to serve online as well. And so just um, make a note in, in the comments that you wanna be a part. You're ready to start cooperating. You here, if you're ready to get involved in the church, let somebody know on your way out and we can get you plugged in. You can always go to our website, metchurch.com, and it talks about places you can serve or you can get connected and we want you to be involved because God does have a plan for your life and he's ready for you to co cooperate because see, God wants you to change so that you can change somebody else's. That's why we always ask you to share these services because you can be a part of seeing somebody's life change forever. It all starts with you answering that call. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for your love and, and, and your son because it's through his death, his burial and his resurrection that we now, have that chance to answer that call. And God, we just want to not just answer it, but we wanna cooperate with you. That you have changed our life and we wanna live a changed life. We wanna live a life that makes a difference. We wanna, we wanna live a life that impacts this world that so desperately needs to see you, God. So help us to, to shine your light. Help us to be your witnesses, to be your ambassadors to this world. God, we thank you for what you've done for us and we want to see that play out in other people's lives as well. God, we love you and we praise you and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.